This is Transistor.fm. Bonjour, Baptiste. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. Comment ça va? Uh, très bien. Thank you. Uh, thanks a lot. Nice. <laughs> Alors, tu es uh, <laughs> à Nantes en ce moment? Absolument. So, shall we continue in French or English? Un petit peu. Je dois pratiquer un petit peu parce que uh, <laughs> j'ai pas beaucoup de... Uh, opportunity. Yeah, your, your French is very good. It, it is still like 10 or like 100 times better than uh, all, the, um, all the, the American people watching Emily in Paris <laughs> on Netflix <laughs> and saying, J'adore uh, Le Tour Eiffel. Uh, J'adore Le Louvre. Oh, yeah, it's how we say it. How we say it? Yeah, Le Louvre. Uh, Voulez-vous coucher avec moi? <laughs> Hundred times better. Uh, yeah, you, you can speak French. Bien, I'm glad. I'm glad I got a little chance. Hey, welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the behind-the-scenes story of building web apps in 2022, bootstrapping, startups building your own thing. I'm Justin Jackson, one of the co-founders of Transistor.fm. Today on the show, I have Baptiste Jamais, who is the co-founder of Crisp, crisp.im, if you want to check it out. They do live chat, customer support, ticket software, help desk software. They compete with massive companies, Zendesk, Help Scout, Intercom. And they're seriously one of the most impressive product companies I've come across. It the product itself is super high quality, but the cost to customers, the price, is really affordable. We switched to them from Kayako, and we just can't believe how good it is. So I think you're going to get a ton out of this conversation. It's one of a lot of people, you know, might not know Baptiste or might not know have heard of Crisp, but they are seriously impressive in terms of how profitable they are how many customers they serve, and what they've been able to achieve. They're located in Nantes, France. Uh, yeah, let's get into this conversation. It's great. So CRISP is, basic, we use it as customer support messaging. You have a live chat widget, okay. and then it also uh, has an email component, so you can email support at Transistor, and it goes into the live chat interface, and we can respond to those emails in the same interface, and then it has a ton more. But how did it get started? You did you and your co-founder know each other before? What was the kind of beginning of Crisp? Yeah, it's basically before doing Crisp, we did like several side projects. I mean, I wouldn't say startups, but really side projects. Uh, he and I, we started coding like when we were teenagers. Yeah. I started coding when I was 12, uh, doing some video games, and he started coding when he was 16. And he did like a, a, a messaging platform. It was like a, a open source Facebook, okay. basically. Uh, and so we did that when we were teenagers. Then we did some projects that worked, some other failed. And, uh, and basically we met each other at, in the in computer science school. We were apprentices, so we worked in big French companies. I used to work at Orange, uh, which is the biggest French ISP, and uh, he used to work at Ericsson, a uh, tel telecom company. And basically, we were, we got bored of our jobs. I mean, we, were, we worked in big companies, and we felt, okay, basic customer support and messaging is the core of any company since like thousands of years. I mean, mm -hmm. since like when you think about customer support and when you when you go to the same restaurant every time, it's because you have a nice feeling yeah. with uh, the, the, the restaurant, the people who work there. And it's the same for any kind of businesses. And we felt, okay, Something is happening in the, the startup ecosystem. More and more companies going to cre be created in the, the next years. So we need to have a tool allowing 
for those companies to get in touch with their customers something which is super cheap, reliable, and having like a, a nice feeling. We wanted to create like the the, the apple of the, um, the customer support. Yes, the apple of customer support. So we, we tried doing that by using something really minimalistic. So the first Chris version was messaging, like a simple chat widget. Yes. Just a simple chat widget. No file, no file upload, no emojis, just the core was text messaging with an interface to 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 reply to all the customer queries yes. and a, a chat widget and something crazy minimalistic. You must have been quite, so were you quite young when you were figuring all this out? Were you still in university or you were still in, you were just working your first jobs out of university? So we were like 21 or 22, something like that, yeah. So you're quite young. And this is in 2015. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, and, and so we did that. So we did CRISP just because we really felt that we had to do this. And, and we didn't, like, had any vision, like 10 years vision. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't know what SaaS was about. I mean, the... SaaS um, and software as a service. An investor told me, okay, so Crisp is a SaaS software, right? Yeah. SaaS what? <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I didn't know about all the competition, etc. I mean, we wanted to do Crisp and we did Crisp. And I think because of all our previous experiences, I mean, we did different messaging software before. So by doing Crisp, we knew what we had to do, then the kind of features. I mean, we knew how to do a great chat software. So it saved us a lot of time. Because you'd built, you'd, you'd built some chat software before. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about, as a couple of young guys in France, how aware were you of the startup ecosystem of, like you said, you hadn't heard of SaaS before, but had you heard of, like, had you heard of Intercom? Had you heard of any of that? Were you reading TechCrunch? I wasn't reading TechCrunch, basically. Uh, so obviously I knew some competitors, but not Intercom. When we started Crisp, I didn't know about Intercom at all. I mean, <laughs> we didn't um, do some benchmark or whatever. We did Crisp. I mean, we did Crisp without thinking about all the rest we we did something opinionated and about the, the french ecosystem uh i think uh it really started like in 2012 okay um we started to have a strong ecosystem uh some podcasts in french um so we had like um uh, a startup uh called the family who basically translated uh, all the articles from Paul Graham and translated everything in French and did some pod French podcasts okay. about all the, the YC, etc. So thanks to that, um, we had all the, basically all the knowledge from the, the Silicon Valley, but in, in a French way. And it helped a lot, uh, all of the, the French people uh, building startups. Okay. Because we, we came from we came from nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and now we have a pretty strong ecosystem in France, in, in France, uh, with like a many 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 different startups being created. Uh, and now I think France is the biggest startup ecosystem in Europe. Oh really? Uh, in fact, Brexit helped us a lot okay. because <laughs> in in a sense that because UK is no longer a part of uh, yeah you we because we were like the second the second uh, startup ecosystem we are now the first one wow thanks to to Brexit but yeah still it it's still a, a, a pretty big ecosystem and okay so and so the family was like a uh, an accelerator like a tech accelerator, similar to Y Combinator? Yeah, yeah, it was like the French YC. And did you participate in that? Did you end up taking funding or did you self-fund CRISP? So we self-funded CRISP. Uh, so CRISP is still like fully bootstrapped and self-funded, yeah. And how did you do that as a couple of twenty guys in their 20s, uh, fresh out of university? 
So in fact, it was not crazy complicated because what's cool building a startup when you're a student is, you know, you don't have any wife, you don't have any kids, you don't have any house. Yes. So your life is pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. So being ramen profitable, I mean, you don't need so much money to, uh, to, to be like in life. I mean, to, to succeed a company when you started, you're a student. It's not crazy complicated. So using like 100 bucks, you can stay alive. And it's what we did. Uh, it's what we did. And what, what, what infrastructure did you use when you started? Were you on Amazon Web Services? Were you... No, no, no. Too, so AWS is like too expensive and um, the value for the money is pretty yeah. bad. So we did, we did some benchmarks and we figured out that digital ocean servers were like the best value for the money. I mean, the, the servers were back in 2015, were like 10 times more efficient. So for like five bucks per month, you can like host the entire crisp infrastructure. Wow. It's, it's not possible anymore, but we, we try to optimize everything because we were students. We really wanted to have a freemium model. We wanted to have a, a free plan because we thought it could, it could give us uh, a lot of attraction, users. So we used the free plan like as a marketing. And uh, so we, we had to optimize everything and um, the servers, etc. Everything was super optimized. So basically it was easy to get started because hosting costed us like 50 euros per month, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and we knew how to to create Crisp. I mean, technically, how to create Crisp. Uh, we tried to do the marketing ourselves, customer support. So during like one year and a half, we didn't have any employees, etc. Pretty lean. And uh, we, we started to be profitable just being Valerio and I. Uh, Doing just the two of you. I mean, what's interesting is you had this insight, even having not heard of Intercom, you had this insight that customer messaging was going to be big, that every business needs some form of messaging. And you said, um, maybe you noticed this at restaurants, like restaurants with good customer service, yeah. restaurants that, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, but was that like, were you were you thinking of, when you were observing these things, were you thinking of, a restaurant that answers the phone or you're just thinking of a restaurant that onboards clients into the restaurant itself? What were your observations that made you feel like this was worth pursuing? So when we started Crisp, we felt, okay, maybe we could sell Crisp to restaurants, actually. Yeah. Having something, handling email, phone calls, chat, etc., And messaging chat was just the first step of this plan. And when we started with just chat, we the market was so huge that we had to do so many things, so many features, yes. so many stuff was going on. So uh, going to chat took us a lot of time, but because the, the market is so big. Um, and then, in fact, in terms of messaging, uh, in, and in terms of customers, you had two kind of customers. The customers who phone companies first and the, the customers who want asynchronous messaging. So nowadays, most of the people who are under like 35, maybe under 40, were born with internet and iPhones, etc. So... For them, they prefer to chat with companies. It's quite a thing for them. They want to chat with companies. They don't want to do phone calls, etc. That's right. Like if they'll avoid, they'll do anything but getting on the phone. Like don't make me call. Yeah, they're 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 scared of taking phone calls. But boomers love uh, it. They don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the opposite. And the opposite. The boomers loved uh, phone calls. And so you had this, this insight. How did you know the market was big? Like you, you put Crisp out and you just started seeing traction right away. What were the indicators that the market was big, that there was a lot of potential customers there? 
And when you say the market is big, were you still thinking of restaurants or were you thinking of just any company on the internet? So basically when we started Crisp, we thought to, we don't know anything about the market. So to get started, we're going to try with solopreneurs, freelancers. We're going to try using this market first. And then we're going to collect all their feedback and we're going to upmarket. So small startups, SMBs, and then bigger SMBs. And it's what we did. Every try, we upmarket. And now we are selling to enterprise customers. So when we started Crisp, we had maybe 10 initial users. Okay. And we focused on those 10 initial users. Those users gave us a lot of different feedback. Yeah. So rather than focusing on traction, acquisition, we just focused on retention. Got it. To make those 10 customers happy. And what we figured out that is that those 10 users talked about Crisp to other companies and we started to have 15 users, then 20, then 50, 100. And then one of those initial users featured us on Product Hunt. Okay, yeah. And back, so in 2015, Product Hunt was a closed community. And the guy didn't tell us about that. And uh, on Sunday, we, we were on Crisp answering some users and boom. So all the analytics, etc. Everything went crazy, like really crazy. Um, <laughs> like traffic, like people coming in, people asking questions. Yeah, yeah. We, ha we had two busy days. Mm -hmm. So I had like to, to work during nights and my colleague during days. And we did like shifts like oh, that. Oh, wow. So yeah, we could like handle all the traction. And then uh, we tried to collect all, all the feedback and to, to make all the users happy about that. And, um, and yeah, in the next so production was something big for us because it really helped uh, to get traction. Yeah, and that, that was fairly, because that was also in 2015. So you launched, by the way, how did you find those first 10 people? Where did they come from? So I had a friend who contacted like a few companies cold emailing, basically telling them, you don't have any customer service. I mean, your contact form is broken. You should use Crisp. Wow. And the next, the next day we had 10 users. Wow. That's a good friend. Yeah. Very good friend. Yeah. Yeah. Because initially Crisp, I mean, no one could sign up on Crisp. I mean, with Valerian, we were typically Typical engineers, no, it's not perfect yet. Yes. <laughs> it's password protected. So the, the homepage was password protected. And um, so this friend told me, but can I sign up on Crisp? No, you can't. It's password protected. <laughs> oh, man. You give, me, give me the password. And I told, but I, okay, could, could we maybe stop uh, password protecting Crisp? And yeah, okay. Let's remove that shit. <laughs> so, yeah, nowadays, m m many people uh, had a look to the, the movie about Facebook. Uh, I don't remember the name. Uh, the social network. The social network. And most of the people think that launching a company is like emailing thousands of people and then boom, yeah. your company is is created and you, get, you, you have traction. Yeah. But in fact, starting a company is like launching your company every day during like a few weeks. Yes. There is no D-Day. Yeah, yeah. It's a slow uh, opening. Slow opening. And, and you felt like, did it feel like, you mean like every single day you came in and you were like, okay, well, like today we're going to take off the password protection and that's going to be like another launch. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not even a launch. I mean, it's just one more step. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so we moved the password and the next day, boom, 10 users. It's, it's really interesting that you got started with the cold emailing, if you think about it. Was that a hard step for you to get somebody to help you with that? D did you have any kind of sales or marketing inclinations? No, no. I mean, we were like two typical engineers, developers, 
not knowing anything about marketing, SEO, etc. Not wanting to talk to people yeah. at all. Yeah. So yeah, when we started to had to have users, we had to split the roles, and my colleague Valerian more doing code, doing more code, and me doing more marketing and growth. So I, I tried to learn everything about marketing, growth hacking. So, and even today, if I look at your about page, there's you and, is it Valerian? How do you say it, Valerian? Yeah, yeah, in French, you, you pronounce the R, but in English, I think you would say Valerian. Yeah, so yeah. you two, so he's more technical, and and then you have Antoine, who's also doing marketing and sales, and then you have some yeah. more s software engineers, So, and then a content manager, so did that sales and marketing grow over time? So uh, we went from zero to 100K MRR, just being the two, two of wow. us. Wow. How long did that take? Uh, three years. Zero to 100K in three years with just the two of you. And how did, let's just stop there for a second. How did that feel? So you launch, you got 10 customers, then someone features you on Product Hunt. How many customers do you think you got out of Product Hunt? Uh, 5,000, something like 5, that. 5,000. Wow. Yeah, yeah, but not all the users were paying for Crisp. But okay, uh, so you had some free least, users yeah, then. Five, yeah, yeah, 5,000 users is, is still a lot. And when, when we talk about Product Hunt, we, we talk about people who have a big impact in the startup industry and talk... Those users are really different to um, regular SMBs. I mean, they're going to spread the word about your product. So initially, yeah, maybe 5,000 users, but thanks to all the, the those users, we had a lot more. Uh, yeah, you must have started getting a lot of word of mouth. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I mean, it, it's nice that... At this time, 2015, you know, the SaaS ecosystem is much more mature. Customer support ecosystem is much more uh, mature. There's Zendesk, there's, you know, all these big players in that space. And so now people are looking for alternatives and you folks come in. What's always been interesting about Crisp is the price. You start free, and then you you give an incredible amount of value for the price that you charge. Um, how? What was your instinct there? Like, why make it so affordable? Why you know? Because you know, intercom is thousands and thousands of dollars per month for you know. Um, they do different things, but you know that's what people are often comparing. You must get a lot of people switching from intercom to crisp. I'm imagining. We felt we need to reduce the decision making for users wanting to use a product like crisp. You initially we had four different plans, and you had a different usage level between all the the plans. So we had the free plan, we had crisp pro, crisp business, and. Uh, enterprise maybe of uh, we had like two different plans and we tried to reduce decision making by just having a free plan a cheap plan and like a more expensive plan but with all the features included yes included which was the crisp unlimited yes plan. and when we released the crisp unlimited plan we had like four times more users on this plan got it <laughs> All the users were choosing this plan rather than uh, the Crisp Pro one. So, and we had a few friends doing unlimited plans, and in fact, it worked a lot. For yeah. Them. Um, and in France, uh, we did that because in France we have, it, I think, the unlimited usage uh, is quite popular in in in, in yes. France. Uh, for instance, it started with phones. And uh, basically, it was like crazy in France uh, when he did that. And internet went popular thanks to that. And we wanted, we really wanted to do the, the, something similar, but for SaaS. 
And we thought, okay, if we want to make Chris popular, it needs to be a, a no-brainer deal. So if you don't have any money and just you start a company, use Chris for free because anyway, you don't have the money to pay for any SaaS. So better give the product for free and anyway, maybe you're going to be successful one day and uh, it's how it works. Yes. And then we try to have a plan for any kind of company. For John and I, this is exactly how it worked because, you know, we started just the two of us, just like you two. And we're bootstrapping this, we're self-funding it. Uh, John especially doesn't like spending money. So anytime he can save money, he likes it. And we started with Kayako. And we started with Kayako because it was free. So it was like, are, are we going to use Intercom and spend whatever it was, hundreds of dollars per month? It would have been more than our hosting bill. Or are we going to start on something that's free? We started on something that was free. The problem with Kayako is that the price was low, but the product quality was quite low. It was just always had bugs. We were always having downtime. We were always having trouble. And then we're looking for alternatives. And every, you know, like we would have downtime and then every three months we'd be like, you know, should we look at something else? We'd look at Intercom and then we'd look at Help Scout and, you know, all these other tools. And it never felt like right. Like uh, a lot of the tools didn't have good live chat, which is what we wanted. And then we found Crisp. It got recommended to us. And I just remember like looking at it and going, there's no way that we're going to get all of this for this price. But we signed up for the free plan and tried it. And we're just like, this software is solid. Like this is really good software. And it's so much more affordable than the alternatives. And you're right, it was just a no-brainer. And I think what's interesting is in the startup ecosystem, there's a lot of, a lot of um, ideas about maximizing your price. So like Intercom is maximizing their price. Yeah. But for SMBs, that's the wrong answer. If you're looking, if you're trying to serve SMBs, it's the wrong answer because we, we can't afford Intercom prices. And it's way more likely we're going to recommend you to other people. So I've recommended Crisp so many times just because it's like, this is an amazing software and you won't believe the value you get for the price. Like, it's just a no-brainer. You've got to get on it. And so it, it, I'm interested to know, like, have do you feel like that trade-off is paid off of you just get way more word of mouth, way more uptake because of the price? You, I think raising your price like two times per year can work for VC funded companies mm -hmm. for a reason is they have so much growth that they just don't care about paying two times more for, for what they paid before. Yeah. And it's even not their money. I mean, it's the VC's money. So just, it's just spend, spend on the people, spend on the software, spend on ads, they spend basically. So I think, and it comes customers are mostly VC founded companies and just they just just don't have the time to switch. Yeah. So okay, they pay. They pay. But SMBs, it's quite different. Uh, and at Crisp, we really craft a software for SMBs. Now we start to have enterprise users. Yeah. But you really crisp, what made us is SMBs. I mean regular SMBs, not technical startups. Re really, I'm, we are talking about German uh, uh, industry. Um, re I mean, regular SMBs. Like, I mean, like main street businesses? Your... So not necessarily tech companies. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. You're talking about like retail stores, restaurants. Re regular e-commerce. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, many, many different, many different uh, companies uh, you wouldn't, even think about. So for instance, during COVID-19 pandemic, we started to have like funny uh, usage of CRISP. For instance, churches using okay. CRISP. <laughs> yeah, because churches were closed and people couldn't confess anymore uh, <laughs> physically. They would just jump on, they would jump on CRISP with the priest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just start confessing their sins. And, and, and the thing is, the priest could... 
uh, use your magic tool to look at what they were looking at on their browser and see how sinful they really were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we also have a video. We also have a, a video uh, chat system with Crisp. So they can do a live conversation as well. Okay, so it's a big confession. It 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 won't work with chat. Let let's call. let's do a call. Let's have a, a video. That call. is hilarious. Yeah. So, do you find is it difficult having such a wide variety of users? Um, because there's definitely um, companies in the the knowledge base space and the customer support space and the live chat space that go specifically for technology companies. So you have all sorts of customers using it in all sorts of different ways. Has that been a challenge or does it not really matter? Does it not really matter what they're using it for? So sometimes uh, for those users, they're the first SaaS software they're paying for. Yeah. I mean, they never paid for any software before. Yeah. So they don't know stuff like what the seats are. For instance, in the live chat industry, they used to pay per seat. So they, they don't, they're not familiar with that. And so we tr it's why we've tried to make crisp as crisp as possible, as simple as possible. It's to satisfy this kind of customers. And, and uh, now we have um, a few integrations, uh, a few integrations as well made for this kind of industries. Okay. For instance, we have a few integrations for like niche softwares. Uh, for instance, uh, CRMs for specific industries. And now Crisp tends to be the iPhone of the customer service. I mean, it's a tool where you can plug apps that can multiply the experience of customer service. So you can like uh, connect your Stripe account on Crisp and when someone ha has a chat with you, you can immediately find all the invoices. Yes. Um, and we are now connected with different invoicing system, including uh, niche systems. Uh, and it's how we try to tech uh, industries. Yeah. Now, how, because you have a pretty small team still, how, how are you able to ship so much at this quality level, like you, you have probably you you might have a hundred times less employees than some of your customers. So how are you able to build this quality software and keep releasing this? Like whenever I get your newsletters, I'm always like, how are they shipping so much? Like how are they doing all this with such a small team? But it's because we're a small team that we can achieve uh, great things. Uh, I don't think. And it's not possible to do a baby with nine women in one month. It's the same for features. Yeah. I mean, it's not by bringing more developers solving the same issue, you're going to reduce the amount of time required to solve the problem because there, there is some decision make, uh, making, some meetings required, unit tests, uh, you know, Scaling people is hard. Yeah. So we try at Crisp to find T-shaped uh, people. Yes. People with an entrepreneurship mindset. Uh, and it's it's a lot easier mm -hmm. because you don't need to like spend your time doing uh, calls, etc. meetings. Yes. Just we get the things done. Okay, there is a problem. Let's solve the problem. I mean... You are in charge of solving the problem alone, and it's all it works. And, it, and it's worked so far. Hey, do you want to start your own podcast? Head over to Transistor and use my coupon, transistor.fm slash Justin. You'll get 15% off your first year of podcast hosting. And when you say T-shaped, you mean somebody who is deep in one area, like has deep knowledge in yeah. um, programming or whatever, but is also broad in that they could also understand customer support. They might also understand some marketing. They might understand the design, etc. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. And and so right now your team is how many engineers on your team? Hey, we are four engineers. Four engineers, including uh, 
Valérie and I. Yeah. Okay. And then it looks like you have another, you have Antoine and Leo on content. And then you've got Leia, whose partnerships, is that like figuring out enterprise deals? Not only, but we start to add agencies. Uh, so we have a lot of different agencies using Crisp, freelancers, etc. Okay. So we try to figure out who could recommend Crisp for clients and um, having speci- special deals uh, for Got them. Got it. In terms of marketing, what has been... Have there been some other things that have really worked for you, like where you've pulled the lever and you're like, this is this brought us in a whole new uh, group of business that we wouldn't have had before? Is there anything like that? Or is it just gradual? Like, is it mostly word of mouth? Where are you really focusing your marketing and energy these days? It changed a lot uh, over the time. It changed uh, a lot. So when we, we started Chris, basically, we didn't have any strategy about marketing, etc. Just like a few users using Crisp, word of mouth, and we tried to like iterate Crisp on them about all their needs. Yeah. Then we, we started to have traction, more users using Crisp, uh, to, using the free plan and recommending Crisp. So we, we worked a lot on the product and especially around onboarding mm. to better understand what the people needed yes. and what was in their mind when they wanted to use a tool like Crisp. Mm-hmm. So we did the bottom of the funnel. I mean, all those people needed a chat software right yeah. now. It was their job finding a chat software to get the things done today. And it's what we offered them. Uh, by simplifying the user experience when the users uh, sign up for Crisp. And we try to optimize all the steps so you can get the things done immediately. And it worked a lot. And we figured out by, by doing that, uh, let's so 50% of the users were still using Crisp the next day. Wow. I, I mean, that insight is what's, interesting is that instead of starting with a marketing tactic, you said, first of all, let's just figure out where people are at when they land on our doorstep. Yeah, Crisp is still about product-led growth. It's still, but with some uh, magic sauce, spicy marketing sauce around it that makes a great multiplier. Around. I think marketing is a great multiplier. So if you have a good traction like that, using your product, I mean, succeeding a company is all about product market fit and having a great product for an audience. If you have that, okay, you're going to have some traction. Yeah. Marketing is doing from that to that, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, it's an amplifier. An amplifier, exactly. And and so we, we achieve doing that until... 100K, so I, I used to arrive at a plateau of knowledge. Marketing is was not like my thing. I did that because I had to do that, but it's not my passion. So we tried to find people, and Antoine, who joined the team in, uh, in 2018, um, to solve, to, to, to reach the next milestone. And uh, we started to work on SEO, Back in the days, with no SEO at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, no SEO. So uh, we had to iterate on a lot of stuff. We tried paid advertising as well, uh, copywriting. Um, and uh, yeah, but still the bottom of the funeral. Yeah. And now as we grow to more enterprise deals, more um, users willing to pay more, yeah. We need to, to, to have a better branding around Crisp. So users not requiring to use a, a, a support system right now, but maybe in six months, a year, mm-hmm. can know about our brand. They can know that Crisp is good for them. And maybe one day they're going to use a tool like us and they're going to think about Crisp. Of, of those levers, SEO, uh, ads, 
has anything worked better or worse? Like, for example, we've at Transistor, we've never really been able to make ads work for us. Uh, what's been your experience with ads, SEO? What's been working the best? I think it's complicated, mm-hmm. um, very complicated and expensive. Um, SEO is like magic. I mean, magic in the terms of it can be uh, super good in terms of growth, but it's super dark in the meantime. Yeah. I mean, the way it works for me, it's still not 100% I still don't understand everything. Yes. And even people working 100% of the time on SEO, they don't understand what's going yeah, on. Yeah, what's in the uh, dark box. And, but there, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is still things to do. I, I don't think you need to focus a lot on SEO at the beginning uh, to, to succeed uh, something. But at some point, you know, SEO is like the multiplier, the amplifier. Yeah, yeah, I think that's such a key insight. And again, just to go back to this insight of you realized that when people landed on Crisp, they needed to make a decision today. It was their job to find customer support software today. Hey, Janet, I need you to go and research the best ones and just choose one. It, it was similar for Transistor too. It's like, you know, the third time Kayako went down, we were like, that's it. Like, today's the day. I'm going to go and research all of the possibilities. I go in three different Slack groups. I say, hey, what is everybody using for live chat? Crisp gets mentioned in that list. I go check it out. I sign up for a free trial. And now I'm in. And I've, But I also want to close the loop fast. I don't want to be deciding what software we're going to use forever. I just want to make a decision and move on. And getting in the customer's mindset the way you did, understanding that if you can improve that initial experience and that onboarding, that's the piece that so much software doesn't get. They don't understand where are customers at? What brought them to your site today? Like what brought them there? What mindset are they in? And once you understand that, you can configure your, your onboarding to best just like get them in the product and get them paying. And that's a lot of the battle because you could have a huge funnel with tons and tons of people coming in. But if you're not able to make those key moments. Yeah. And, and for instance, I think regular industries, for instance, if you think about the food industry and chocolate bars, have a break, have a Kit Kat. It's such great um, tagline because I think it was created in fifty in the fifties, fifty seven, and the idea about that is what the users, I mean, the, the people buying our product, are doing when they buy our mm-hmm. product. And in fact, if you think about chocolate bars, people try to achieve a task. They're hardworking in their company. They try to solve a bug. Uh, they try to uh, lawyers doing uh, paperwork, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. And they want to get the things yeah. done. And they go to the machine. They, they, they use um, $1 to, to get the product and boom. They eat the product in like five seconds and boom, they, are, they go back to work. It's not about the taste. It's just about doing the get the that's right and it's it worked uh, so well i mean have a break have a kit kat it's just a chocolate bar but it's a great tagline because the marketing guys thinking about that knew the customers and what the customers were what the what were their the goal what they wanted the context this is uh in the jobs to be done uh, they call, they say, what are people hiring the product to do? And there's so many layers to that. Like if, if you're in a company and let's say it's a 20 person agency and your boss says, we need to get live chat software for this customer. And then says, Janet, you go research, you know, the live chat software. The job to be done is different for different people in that organization. 
For Janet, she wants to look good to the boss and to the client. So what does that mean? It means I've got to make a decision. It's, if it's more affordable, that's always good. They're going to be saving money. If it's a good software that doesn't make me look bad, that's a good thing, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's the customer. And they're scared about, they, they just don't want to fuck up the decision because it's how their colleagues going to think about their role. I mean, at the end, it's just choosing like a, a software costing like a, a few bucks per month, but it's like their 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 job is all about this, and they could be fired or whatever. Yeah. They 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 want to mess up about yeah. this. And even in small companies with a co-founder, you see this dynamic. If it's my job to choose a tool or make a decision, and I fuck up, and it looks bad to John, my co-founder. That does affect me. That's a part of my calculus, right? It's like, I want to make good yeah. decisions. Even in, a, even in a small company, in a co-founder relationship, you don't want to fuck up. Like, there's that old saying, like, nobody got fired for choosing IBM, right? Like, there's always this idea of what's the safest choice I can make that will make me... We had a, 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 an easy trick and I learned this trick by working from a French company, a small company, having like normal clients. And in a decision-making process, you have the people choosing the software and the, the people going to choose if going to choose this software or another one. And then maybe the, the billing department are going to pay for the software. And what they did is just a PDF. And a, they, they gave you a PDF and then you could forward this PDF to your boss, to your colleagues. So you could convince them that this is the right decision. And we made the same with Crisp, just a PDF, resuming everything in 20 slides. That's so smart. Very easy. Super easy to process. Features and three key points about what to think. And super, like, it's super easy. And at the end, it's just what, who we are, uh, the crisp customer service, crisp SLA. I mean, crisp is never down. Um, we have a good customer support. And what's the cost? And if you have any question, email us. Just very easy. And it works so great because they can, like, Okay, boss, this is the document. This is what we need. And the boss is not having the time. He needs to, to, to make a decision like quickly. And using this document, he can do the right decision. He's not, he's not having to go to the website, maybe having an account, etc. He is having a PDF. It's like buying a house. You know, when you buy a house, want to buy a house, you have a PDF with photos, etc. Uh, the 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 cost, yeah. uh, the agency, etc. Yeah. Contact points. Yes, this is the same. Yeah, that's such a key insight. Again, because it, it gets in the psychology of someone buying a product. How do people buy products? And unless you're just selling to a solopreneur, and there's different dynamics with solopreneurs, but as soon as you have two people in a company. I have to convince John to buy this product. So what yeah, am I going to do? Exactly. I'm going to be selling him on it. I'm now the salesperson. So equip me as the person who wants to buy your software to sell it to the other people in the organization. And that's such a key, like a great way of doing it is the, is the PDF. Um, this, this is also the same insight uh, we, a lot of us in SaaS have had about reports. What, why do you want reports? Give me reports so that I can look good to my boss in a meeting. Hey, uh, Janet, how are we doing in terms of customer support? Oh, well, we've had yeah. 81 more conversations this week. Our response time is down and we've had more visitors. Perfect. Thanks, Janet. Like you, you're equipping people to have the answers so that they look good in a meeting. So key. Yeah. And once you understand why... Uh, not everyone is hiring, like for podcast hosting, 
Not everybody is hiring podcast hosting for the same reason. The marketing team has their goals. The boss has their goals. The, you know, everybody has their goals. The individual employee who's in charge of purchasing has their goals, right? And nobody wants to fuck up. Everybody wants to look good. Yeah. Help exactly, them yeah. make a decision that makes them look good. Make it a no-brainer. And this is why definitely this yeah. is why you need like yeah. on another thing you guys do great on your page is you just you kind of systematically show people like here's the product. It's built for customer support, marketing, and sales all together. And then you have 300,000 brands are already using Crisp. So the boss is going to want to know, why should I trust these people? Well, 300,000 brands, including Boston University, Call Hippo, John Deere, are all using this product. Yeah, and, and, and in fact, if you switch to a different language, so if you switch to French, if you switch to Portuguese, I'm looking now. German. Oh yeah, it's gonna change. It's gonna change. So you you, you know those kind of brands. Yeah. So you're doing it. You're you're geolocating. You're making it even more salient to potential customers to say, hey, well, if you're in France, let's uh, we'll show you uh, B and B hotels. You know, that's a brand that you might know and recognize. That's so smart. Like, are most of your customers from Europe or from North America? And what's it like being a technology company outside of North America? Do you feel like that has made anything harder? Or is there a huge opportunity in the EU that you've been able to take advantage? So U.S., uh, it's only 30% of our revenues. So it means that we take our revenues all around the world and outside uh, the US. Uh, so I don't think there is any issue uh, for US customers buying a product not made uh, from the mm -hmm. US. In fact, it's why if you look at the footer on the homepage, it says uh, made, uh, made in mm -hmm. France, something like that. Initially, I, I didn't want uh, to add this tagline. I mean, we don't want to sell us as a French company. But if you look at so the trends, show that uh, American customers have a good feeling about French-made uh, products. That's right, yes. So, so it's why we show that. I mean, I, I don't think it would be the same if it were would have been India or, I don't know. But when, if you look at the trends, and it's even better than showing USA, made in the USA. I mean, there's, there's definitely like certain brands that you see that you go, made in France has this feeling of quality, of maybe craftsmanship, of higher quality, luxury, yeah. Yeah, it, it's the same for Germany. If you think about German cars, yes. when you you close the door, it makes a special sound. It's perfect. So a company, uh, I mean, a country can have a, a perception about how how they do product. It's why there is this tagline uh, "Made in France" uh, in the future. But at the end, you know. There are great software developers all around the world, so it's not making any difference. And uh, so, yeah, it's not a problem for. Um, Is your whole team located in Nantes? No, no, no. So, Crisp used to be a remote company. I mean, we didn't wait it for COVID nineteen pandemic to to know what remote yeah. is. Uh, we started Crisp by by being hundred percent remote, and but. We wanted like to have our families, so being nomads was not easy because when you travel all around the world, you have not you have you don't are you are not doing any long term relationships. Yeah. So by going to uh, the west of France near our families, friends, etc., it was easier. So we made a team in Nantes, but still half, so fifty percent of the team is all around the world. I mean, we have people working at Crisp 
in different countries. So all the Slack, um, so we use Slack every day and all the people on Slack just, we speak English all together. Okay. And, uh, but, but half of the team is French. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So but during the day, the language that you use for like work is English. Yeah. Not at the offices, obviously. And the other thing I think you've done well that I think we're trying to think about too, it, it's so easy because so much of the SaaS market traditionally has been North America. It's easy for us to have blinders on. And so like if we, I, I would say our, it goes US first, then maybe UK, Germany, Canada, France, and Australia. Those are our top markets. Um, but we know that, you know, in Spanish speaking countries, podcasting is getting big. And so one thing that's been interesting about crisp is you have that auto translate feature and we have people all the time that it's, it's almost like you built the product just assuming that you're going to have a global audience. So you can see right away, this person likely speaks Spanish. Do you want to live translate this right all at once? Do you think that's helped you as a company get into markets that you wouldn't normally have have reached into? Like, is there are you seeing uplift in Spanish speaking countries or in Asia? As we come from Europe, so people in the US and especially all the in America think that Europe is Europe. Yes. I mean, like the USA, but it's not working like that. I mean, Europe is. 30 different countries, even more. And we all speak different languages. We all have different cultures, different feelings, uh, etc. And as France comes, we are French people, we come from Europe. So we knew that, okay, if we want to be global, I mean, France is going to be a market for us because we are French. So we need to translate everything in French. We're going to be global first, so English first, but then we're going to localize everything. So we're going to localize everything in French, everything in Spanish, Portuguese, German, etc. And this strategy worked great because uh, the crisp live chat widget is translated in more than 60 different languages. And actually our users translated everything. We didn't do anything oh, really? for that. Just, yeah. So all the, the chat widgets are translated by the users uh, because they wanted to use CRISP in their own language. So yeah, here is the translation file uh, translated and we're going to make CRISP comp compatible with uh, Finnish, with uh, Danish, with whatever. And it's what we did. And by doing that, in fact, we had the a huge traction in countries we never thought uh, we, we would have a chance. For instance, Finland. Okay. Chris was translated in Finnish. And thanks to that, we had a, a YouTuber uh, doing a blog article uh, in uh, yeah. Finland. And this guy was super popular. And, and like in a few months, we went from zero to market leader in uh, Finland. Wow. That's incredible. It, it, it does make me feel like, I mean, this is something we talk about at Transistor, but going, we, in some ways inspired by Chris, we decided to localize our podcast websites feature. And we have a developer, Jason, who really pushed this. He said, like, we really got to do this. And so we localized it into, I think, five or six languages to start. And it's interesting because you do just, as soon as people see for example, that you can have your website in your language for your country, it does just bring in a bunch more attention. And so demand, customer demand that you might not have been aware of kind of shows up. It's complicated to think for native English people. I mean, people uh, who have always been used to speak English in their life because they think, they think like that. But, you know, right now I'm doing this podcast in English it needs, even if I'm good, I think I'm good at speaking mm -hmm. English, but it's not my main language. I had to learn this language at mm -hmm. school. And right now, my brain, CPU, need to 
translate in life <laughs> everything and it's uh, I mean even the best not English native speakers need to think when they they, they read something etc yeah so if everything is translated in your mother, mother tongue it has an immediate impact on your thought and it it's something that you are not thinking about and even like English people not thinking about that but it's it's a big impact to convince people. Yeah, because you feel like you're home when, when you see your language. Alors, je devrais essayer de faire un podcast en français? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have some kind of a Quebec <laughs> accent. Uh, yeah. Ben, no. Yeah, for, but for instance, people in Quebec. Because CRISP uh, is translated in French, they, they love it. Yeah, it makes a big impact. I mean, yeah, the... That we noticed that right away because we get, we would get a lot of customer requests from Ottawa and from Quebec. And in Ottawa, that's our capital, everything has to be bilingual. And um, in Quebec, everything has to be bilingual, definitely, but you know, leads with French. And yeah, as soon as we have those French language translations, one of the first customers to use it was the Canadian government because they need to have podcasts in both languages. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a great insight. And it's a great way as well to differentiate uh, with competitors. Yeah. At Crisp, we care about that. We have features, and for instance, Crisp is translated in Arabic. No one cares about Hebrew, Arabic, etc., because it's RTL. Everything is in the opposite way, yes. reversed. Yes. And we do, we do care about that. And, uh, and and when, yeah, when they see crisp, wow, they're they're the only kind of company taking care of us. So they they love us just because of and, that. And some of those markets could be bigger. Has there been a surprise for you? Like, is is are some of those markets again? Like when I talk to SaaS companies in North America, it's always the same five or six: United States, Canada, Germany, France, Australia, UK. Germ, uh, yeah, those are the ones. So is there? A country where you've seen a lot of growth, uh, customers-wise, that surprised you. So there, there is definitely something huge happening right now in countries you never think about. So, for instance, in South America, there is something huge happening right now in Brazil, in Asia as well. Uh, there is a big startup ecosystem happening. Um, if you look at uh, Indonesia. Um, Vietnam, something is going on here, and you you, you see real startups. It, uh, interesting launching. But are you see are you seeing an influx of customers from those locations? Yeah, yeah, and and, and also, um, so definitely something is going to happen. Is no nowadays, all the people can use smartphones, computers. The the knowledge tends to be cheap and affordable. You can learn anything on the internet. And you can, for instance, there are more and more startups coming in Africa as well. Uh, for instance, there are some countries like Kenya with uh, big startups ecosystems. So the, the world where the USA were the first software consumers and producers has ended, and we're now in a new world where, like, internet is global, software usage and making is global, and it's totally changing mm -hmm. right now. Big opportunity. Well, thanks so much, Baptiste, for this. This was really great. I love so many of your customer insights are are so interesting. Uh, I think we'll have to we should do this again because I I know I'm going to have more questions as soon as we hang up. But is there anything you want to uh, let our listeners know? Are you hiring? Do you want to, uh, any, anything in particular you want to let folks know before we leave? Yeah, so we, we, we hire any kind of T-shaped people. So if you're looking like for a company offering. So at, at Crisp, we don't hire people for roles. We hire people because we think those people are great people. Yes. And we try to build roles around people. So if you're a developer 
liking a bit of marketing, crisp is for you. If you're a developer liking design plus uh, uh, design plus support plus whatever, crisp is made for you. If you are you want to talk to people but also code, crisp is made for you. For instance, we have Dennis in Portugal started at Crisp doing customer support after doing a, um, audio engineering school and now is shifting to customer to um, development because he's so good at it. Yeah. So Crisp is T-shaped people and if you are this kind of person, you can uh, reach us anytime uh, on Crisp.chat. Awesome. Well, thanks again for doing this. Thanks for staying up late to, to do the phone call. Thank you for engaging in English for an hour and 14 minutes and using all those CPU cycles. I hope I didn't make you... My, my CPU is overeating, yeah. <laughs> if I had to do this whole thing in French, it would be... It would be a, you have to think so hard to think, uh, how do I say this in French? It's, it's just... I, I, <laughs> I appreciate you doing the, whole, the podcast. And yeah, we'll do it again. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Let's give a shout out to our supporters on Patreon. We've got Jason Charns, Mitchell Davis, Marcel Foley, Alex Payne, Bill Kondo, Anton Zorin, Harris Kenny, Oleg Kulig, Ethan Gunnarsson, Ward Sandler, Russell Brown, Noah Prail, Colin Gray, Austin Loveless, Michael Sitver, Paul Jarvis, and Jack Ellis, Dan Buda, Darby Frey, Adam Duvander, Adam Duvander, Dave Junta. You know, John Buddha found a bottle of Junta wine the other day. Junta wine. We're going to have a team retreat. We're going we're gonna to have some Junta wine while we're there. And Cal Fox from GetRewardful.com. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. Reach out to Baptiste on Twitter. Let him know that you liked it. And I will talk to you next time. Bye. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.